Hello and welcome to the most anticipated episode of Woman Advantage of all time. That's right. I am here with the better, the more special, the more talented Hannah Stewart, the other Hannah, or am I the other Hannah in the hockey universe? Uh, She is currently writing for EP Rinkside doing prospect analysis and just being magical on the internet. How are you, Hannah? I am good. How are you? I'm great, especially excited to be here with the better Hannah on hockey Twitter. I will I will disagree with you on that front, but Well, agree to disagree. I guess we can't be our own favorite Hannah's. I think we need Hannah's of all kinds on hockey Twitter. We do. That's true. So I'll jump right on in. Uh, how did you get started in hockey? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, so a lot of it was spite. When I watched World Juniors during the lockout in 2012, and I'm going for like, how did I get started in terms of my prospect writing and stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, So I started live tweeting and a boy who followed me from like real life stuff was like, this sports stuff is getting annoying. So I made a Twitter account specifically dedicated to my sports stuff and fell in love with watching and analyzing prospects. That's I love a good spite story. I feel like the best stories start with spite. Most of my motivation in life is spite. As a fellow spite demon, I can I can understand that. <laughs> um, so I know that you grew up down south, mm-hmm. and I don't think that there was a professional team near where you grew up. How did you get into hockey without a professional team in the area? Okay, so I grew up in North Georgia that where I was basically smack dab between Nashville and Atlanta, and neither were convenient. Um, They were both like a couple hours away at least, and Atlanta was terrible, and we couldn't afford tickets anyway, so it didn't matter. But um, when I was five, I watched The Mighty Ducks, and I loved it, and I decided I wanted to be a fan of the real Mighty Ducks when I found out they were a real team. Um, And so I just stuck with them. I fell in love with, you know, Paul and Timu, um, and just kind of stuck with that, and it never really went away. So you're still a Ducks fan? No. Okay. That has shifted <laughs> like, and changed over the years so much. <laughs> like, please say no. Please say no. No, that was entirely like all Korea based. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, do you follow a professional team now? Um, I have been a Penguins fan since 2005. Um, after that lockout, I um, or during that lockout, I started seeing stuff about Sidney Crosby. And I was like, wow, he's really good and he's really pretty. And so, you know, baby high school Hannah was like, wow, that's all I need. I'm sold. Um, and I've been a Penguins fan ever since. <laughs> so we're coming up on, you know, 15 years now. That's 2005 could not have been 15 years ago. Almost. We're getting you're there. just, you're putting me in existential crisis. I don't appreciate I know, it's it. It's horrible. It's horrible. I don't even want to think about <laughs> having to I write can't. stuff for next year's, dra- this coming upcoming draft. It's like oh, stressing God. me out already. <laughs> well, kind of speaking of writing stuff, um, you've got a pretty long resume with writing about and analyzing hockey. What has been your favorite part of covering the sport? Probably getting to dig into guys who like the mainstream um, analysis isn't really focusing on and kind of digging into what makes them tick. I am a prideful person, so I like finding diamonds in the rough and then years later being able to point them out and say, hey, guess who really liked that guy a long time ago when none of you liked him, which again is spite. But I like the puzzle aspect of it. I like being able to break down 
a guy's skills and, you know, project several years ahead how that might turn him into an NHL player. One example is David Ference. When he was on the NTDP pre-draft, he was, I mean, he was good and he looked good, but a lot of um, like draft analysts were like, oh, he may not pan out. Let's see how he does in college. We've got some red flags. And I was like, no, no, if he develops right, he's going to be really great. Fast forward to 2019. And last I saw, he was the only NCAA defenseman with double digit goals. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know if that has changed. That was a few days ago. I know some people have played games since then. BU is playing right now. But um, it's just been really cool to watch, like to see that potential because the potential doesn't always play out. You know, I could find a guy and be like, here's X, Y, and Z that is great about him. And then he could just totally bust. There's so many factors. Yeah. This wasn't one of the questions that I was planning on asking you, but what are like some of those factors that you think help or hurt a prospect in their development and becoming either a successful player or an average player or being, I hate calling them a bust because they're a human being and there's so much more Mm -hmm. to hockey. Like not panning out at a professional level. Yeah. um, I think a big one is development environment. Um, You know, we saw some stuff about Nikita Sherbach online today and he was the guy who had all the tools and he just didn't work out for whatever reason. And I think a big part of that was because he was in some, you know, non-productive and potentially hostile from what I've heard some things about his junior environment in terms of, you know, xenophobia and stuff. Mm. Um, But just having that development environment where they are valued as a person and a player and they have coaches, whether they're, you know, their coach on that team or the development coaches of the NHL team that they're drafted by, you know, guiding that development who care about helping them, you know, succeed, play to their strengths, you know, work on their weaknesses. But, you know, it's been proven in leadership research over and over again, that if you work with people on your team to develop their strengths, rather than focusing on their weaknesses, you get so much more out of them. Can you tell that I have a degree in leadership? Um, (laughs) I tend to focus a lot on this kind of thing. So, you know, a lot of it is environment and having good management. Yeah, that's, I think that's good advice just across the board, but particularly yeah. with essentially children. When you're guiding teenagers, yeah, you have to care about them as people first, or you're never going to get a good player. Yeah, I think about Darlene is out right now with a concussion, which is a tragedy because he is 19 years old and his poor brain is not done developing. But it seems like last season, they kind of let him be freewheeling, offensive minded defensemen. And this season, he was told to focus on defense. And that mm-hmm. has never been his strength. And he's looked bad and the numbers say he's looked bad and I'm like that's not how you want that kind of player to play you wouldn't sit down like you're off like you're shut down defenseman and say I want you to do offense well it's it's the same thing with Tyson Berry under Babcock versus what he Mm -hmm. looks like under Keefe right now yeah it's it's kind of bonkers to me that like coaches haven't had like or maybe they have had people sit them down and tell them like here's the best way to manage like players to their strengths and they just don't listen. Yeah. I don't understand it at all. I guess maybe we're, we're doing that same thing to coaches where a coach is like never gonna, because that's not their strength. They're not going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know though. I feel like that's um, a strength that you need to develop. If you oh want yeah. To be in charge of people. <laughs> oh yeah. You definitely need to, but you know, it's the NHL. It's a rotating uh, carousel of the same, you know, 15 men. men. True. Oh, well, now that we went on that tangent, I will refocus us on uh, on you. So I know you mentioned that, you know, you created a separate Twitter account out of spite 
and you know that's where where you talked about sports but what made you focus on prospect and prospect analysis in particular there is a quote that i don't remember exactly um from friday night lights that talks about high school football and how it's about the pure it's like the purest form of the sport and it's about the love of the game and it's really similar to that for me It's about the potential in these kids and the fact that they are just getting started and you can see what they're going to grow into, but you don't know for sure. And they, you know, they love this sport so much and not all of them are good at it, but there's just something about watching a junior hockey game or watching a college hockey game that I've always loved. And so then to take it to the next level and kind of break down their game and, you know, what what they're good at and what they're not and how they compare to their peers. And like I said earlier, it's just a big puzzle. And I really like that. It sounds like you have a really good eye for just like potential and people. Would you say that is probably your favorite part of prospect analysis? Or is there something else you enjoy more than just like seeing the potential in these kids? I think it's it's that and it's, you know, on those um those international tournaments, whether it's world juniors or even if it's just like, you know, the world junior a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I love watching those, those amateur international tournaments and the way those teams come together um, and kind of how the pieces slot into play or, or into place or don't. And so I think, you know, the international t- tournaments at the development level are pretty close to that for me as a favorite part, but um, yeah, just, you know, looking for the potential and trying to find, those hidden gems and stuff, its that's a big part of it for me. Yeah. And you're sifting through so many different prospects that when you do find mm-hmm. someone that no one else has found yet, it must feel like really awesome. Yeah. And it's never going to be no one else because I don't, you know, I don't follow everyone yeah. who's analyzing prospects in the world, but it is great to see, you know, to feel like, oh, you're seeing some, something in a player that other people are kind of look, overlooking or dismissing because of, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, I get really frustrated when I see players who, for example, you know, play in the USHL or play, you know, high school hockey dismissed out of hand because they're not playing major junior in Canada because that still happens. And it's so frustrating and that's happening less over time. People, I think people are really starting to understand what a good development league the USHL can be. Um, but I mean, you know, just stuff like that, just exploiting, um, competitive advantage, you know, finding that competitive advantage and exploiting it. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably helps that like you're based in the United States. And so you have more easy access to some of the USHL games. If you were to travel to see them, it's easier to get there than it is to get to, I don't know, like Hamilton. Oh, for sure. (laughs) I I have not made it to one yet, but I keep trying. (laughs) Yeah. What are some challenges with prospect analysis? You'll never see everyone. Yeah. Um, And then there's also the fact that I'm a woman um, and so who's never played the game. And so that gets my work dismissed out of hand a lot of times. Um, And it's happening less the last few years. But I mean, it really at first happened a lot. And and then another challenge is, you know, I mean, I think you can effectively scout someone on video if that's all that you have. But it always is really good to see a guy in person because you get a better sense of like body language and you're not limited to what the the camera is showing you 
and all of that. And for me, that's a particular challenge because all I have is video. You know, I'm, I'm in the South, I'm in the middle of nowhere and working on a pretty limited budget. So, you know, I can't, I see these guys on Twitter who are like, and I'm flying to X place this weekend and Y place this weekend to see all these prospects. And like, that's something that is so foreign to me. Um, so, you know, it's, it's working what you, with what you've got and doing the best that you can with it. Well, I think you do a great job with what you have. I appreciate yeah. all of your hard work around prospects because I always turn to you first when I'm like, how is this person doing? That makes me feel very good. Thank you. Yeah. Mostly because I trust you because you also like didn't give up on Dylan Strom and that like, <laughs> like if she did also didn't that give up. That is one that I will forever crow about being right. Yeah. I, I love him so much and I've loved him so much for so long. So seeing like someone who actually does prospect analysis like as a thing that they do it's like oh well I was right and everyone else was wrong so suck it <laughs> it's one of those that's one of those examples of sticking to your gut because I knew there was no way that we saw what we saw out of Dylan Strom and there was no way that that cratering was legitimate yeah because you know you don't you don't fall off in the course of a summer, especially when not when you're that young. And people tried to explain it away by saying, oh, he was a product of Connor McDavid. But if you look at his minutes, he didn't play enough with Connor McDavid to be a product of Connor McDavid. So those people were just trying to excuse away, um, you know, just kind of brush off the way that his development was handled. And I do think that Arizona screwed up his development and it's gotten me some flack on Twitter for saying that. But then he got traded to Chicago and he looked like Dylan Strom again. And so I don't know how they want to explain that away if it wasn't a bad development environment. And that doesn't mean that like, Oh, Arizona is terrible and it's, you know, it's awful, but for whatever reason it didn't, what they were doing with him didn't work. It wasn't the right path. It wasn't the right, the right choices weren't made. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that's so important. Sometimes it seems like teams kind of have what they think is like the magic formula for prospect development. And if one person mm-hmm. doesn't work out in that formula, then they give up on them and trade them away. And then they, you know, succeed somewhere else. And the fan base mm-hmm. gets really upset when like the fan base should be upset, but not that the player is thriving. They should be upset at their organization for not figuring out like a different way to develop that player so that that player could succeed in their systems. Yeah. One thing that I repeat over and over it, it, again is that prospect development is not one size fits all and it never will be like you have to be willing to work individually with a single player and figure out what he needs or you are not going to get the value out of that pick. Like, what was your point in picking that guy if you're not going to work with him specifically? Yeah, especially with someone like Strom, who was the number three pick in that draft. And people will argue all day that, like, maybe he shouldn't have been the number three pick. But imagine if his development had been proper for him from the time he was 18. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, no, no. Just it, uh, yeah, just mad always. <laughs> yeah, they're just children. So the first time I kind of like saw you speak and like really got to hear, you know, why you got into prospects and like how you do your analysis was at Hack. And without kind of rehashing your entire panel discussion, um, what is one thing that you really try to hone in on when you are, you know, watching a prospect? Offensive ability, um, no matter if it's forwards or defensemen just like and not like is he putting the puck in the net but is he driving play and there are a lot of things you have to look at for that but that's the thing that I tend to focus on first and foremost but skating is another big one 
because they're so connected, especially in the game right now. Yeah. I know that we just had a crisis about how 2020 is in like three weeks, but <laughs> who is somebody that you are like high on on 20 for 2020 that you don't think enough people are talking about? Okay. So this one's tough because I am... I am behind on my 2020 work because I have just been so burnt out just from this year in general. Yeah. Um, but that being said, guys that I, you know, that I saw some of last year are guys that I still know about. And so I don't know if people are like talking about them or not, but someone I really like is Antonio Stranges from, I don't even know if that's how his last name is pronounced because I have not been able to, to like sit down and focus on that. Um, but he's on the London Knights and he like, I don't know what it is about his skating. There's something that I, I don't want to call it weird because it's not weird, <laughs> but there's something I can't put my finger on about his skating, but he's like, he's really good. And I think he'll be a good, probably a good second round pick, but I really like him. Yeah. That's, is he probably going to play in world juniors? Like, is that when you really start to focus on prospects for like that upcoming draft is around the time of like that big international tournament? So no, because a lot of times since world juniors is under 20, mm-hmm. a lot of countries don't, um, sure. don't take like underage guys. Like I remember it was a big deal when Canada decided to take both Nathan McKinnon and Jonathan Druin in 2013. And this year they have eight draft eligible guys on their camp roster. I was shocked, but I'm I'm also excited like in a petty way because I don't want Canada to do well because I'm an American, (laughs) but (laughs) but, I am excited for the fact that like these guys are really good and I'm glad they're getting that that acknowledged by Hockey Canada. Yeah. I tend to be like Team Finland during these international tournaments for some reason. Well, I got I've got my NTDP boys. I got to support yeah. them. Yeah. So I I very much like pick the team that has the most Sabres prospects on it usually and then I'm like that's my mm-hmm. team this oh, year. That's smart. So it was Finland last year and they they did me really proud. <laughs> Well, good. But some other guys I like are um, Jamie Drysdale. He's a defenseman on the Erie Otters. Um, And then uh, Justin Barron is a defenseman from the Halifax Mooseheads. He was actually just announced today as being out um, with a blood clot, which is terrifying. But he's very good. Oh, God. So so scary. Really like him. Oh, God. I know. I know. And he's he's a baby. They're all babies. Like, he's good. I know. I get so worried. I know. <laughs> read about them. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been like you've been working in and around hockey for a long time, and I know that you know right now hockey is not your full time job. But no. you know, where do you see yourself going next in hockey, or where would you like to see yourself going next? I, that's a, the latter part of that question is yeah. better because I don't know if this is ever going to happen. But I, I mean, like I would love to have a player eval or player development, you know, scouting type job. You know, I I think I do better with player evaluation um, as opposed to just straight up go to the rink and scout. You know, I'm good at digging into like specific skills on on video. I really love the video room pieces that I've been doing for the past year or so. Um, And I feel like they've made me a better writer and better at prospect analysis. But, you know, I'd, I'd love to work in ops for a team. I don't know that that's ever going to happen. And so I will probably content myself with just, you know, continuing to write and continuing to do video analysis. Hey, if we have to project into the universe, 2020 is going to be your year. We're projecting it out there. I hope so. It would be nice. But I mean, it is nice. Like I actually have a day job now. I did not. (laughs) Um, 
for like a year and it was terrible, <laughs> but it was terrible because I did it to myself. <laughs> but, um, but again, burnout. Yeah, it's uh, but I'm not my alma mater. And so that part's nice. Yeah, that's gotta be kind of familiar. Um, so you are one of the more outspoken people on hockey Twitter. And because of Ooh. that, you have been targeted by some internet trolls. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think a lot of women have to deal with. So because this is a podcast focusing on women in hockey, what is some advice that you might have for dealing with trolls for women who are getting harassed by them? Okay, so turn off your notifications. Um, just mute, mute your notifications entirely and have a couple of good friends that you know will have your back to, you know, just to like have them to talk to and to check your notifications if necessary. Don't be afraid to lock your social account if you have to. Like, there's no way to deal with them. Twitter won't do any- anything. Instagram won't do anything. There's still a hashtag out there dedicated um, to harassing me that is still in use by this one specific group of hockey meme creating teens. It's not nearly as bad as it was for the first several months of the year. You know, the direct harassment has stopped, but they're still using this hashtag as just one of their go-to hashtags for hockey memes now. So just like put blinders on yourself. I mean, I hate that I have to say that. I hate that there's nothing that I can say that's like, oh, here, you should do X, Y, and Z, and this should help. Just like, don't be afraid to speak up because people are going to find a reason to be assholes anyway, like no matter what you say. So, you know, if you stand by it, then say it, just make sure that you've got that support system in place. Yeah, I'm really sorry that you can even like give people advice on trolls. But that kind of leads into my next question, which is what keeps you in hockey and still so involved despite all of the bullshit that you've been through? I just really, really love what I do. Like, it's ridiculous that I, you know, that I have to like preface (laughs) the fact that I'm still around with like, oh, it's, I mean, it really is just because I love it. And like, I've met a lot of really good people through it too, you know, yourself included. And so the community is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that a lot of people stay in hockey because of the people they've met and kind of insulate themselves away from some of the outside forces or as best as they can. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of on that note, what do you think hockey can do to be more inclusive? This is one that I was that I've been thinking about. And I think the most important thing that hockey like as a as a collective community can do is listen, like listen to, you know, marginalized people to the people who are being hurt by whatever is happening, whether it's, you know, what we heard about Bill Peters, or whether it's something as simple as the stupid barstool Saturdays are for the boys type bullshit that's gatekeeping and, you know, all of that. I mean, if this sport was just willing to listen and be open-minded about critique, that it would be a better place. And, you know, and like, listen to people who are not me. You know, I'm like, obviously, it's part of this interview. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm not really the one who should be answering that question. And so that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, the listening has been kind of a trend. And, and when I asked that question to people, well, good. I'm glad we're all on the same page. Yeah. Now, if only we could get, you know, everyone else on that yeah, page. We can dream. Yeah. So what do you think we as individuals can do to kind of move the game and the culture forward? 
you know, be willing to listen ourselves and adjust our own behavior because it does start on the smaller levels. But, you know, one thing I've tried to do is, you know, my platform isn't huge, but I try to use it when I can to, you know, bump people's you know, work or people's requests to the audience that I have, because it may be bigger than the audience they have, or it may be different than the audience they have. So just kind of lifting each other up and seeing if we can make the people who need to be heard, heard. But, you know, as simple as everyday interactions, just make sure people feel welcome in a legitimate way and not in a fake hockey is for everyone BS way. Yeah. Yeah. Hockey is... It's only for everyone if you are a very specific set of everyone. Mm-hmm. So kind of how do you think we can encourage more women to get involved in hockey at all levels, not just like as a fan, but, you know, get more people involved in doing kind of the same stuff you're doing or, you know, other other fun aspects of the game? I think probably just like promoting the work of people who are not cisgender white men, um, because it shows that like the place is there for someone um, who does not belong to that very, very specific community. Um, I think, you know, I think if we promote more work by like people, by people like Joshua, for example, you know, I always try to, Mm -hmm. to bump her stuff when it comes up because she's really good at what she does. And also, you know, who knows who's going to see it and think, Oh, well maybe there's a place for me in the sport too. And just kind of like, I don't know, like I said, like lifting each other up, showing opportunities where they do exist because they're small and figuring out what people are interested in and how we can apply that to the game. Yeah, that's really good advice on, you know, kind of how to include more people. Also, just like nose our way in and tell them to, well, I'm not going to say that, Um, but you know, just tell people to (laughs) leave you alone if they don't like that you're there and stay there. Yeah. That's another reason I'm sticking around out (laughs) of spite because people don't want me here. Yeah, that's I feel like that's also a trend is like someone told me I couldn't be here. And because they told me that I said, you know, fuck you. I'm here and I'm staying. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's Um, about it. That's (laughs) yep. That's me. Um, Yeah. Do you have any advice for, you know, some women who are trying to get started? You know how like to get started? I got started work like writing stuff for a very small or it was, it was small at the time. I don't know how big it is now, but a very small, like online magazine was what they called themselves called hooked on hockey magazine covering the Blackhawks. I don't think anything I wrote was really any good, but I was writing and it was being published and I was getting feedback and I was getting better at what I was doing because I kept doing it. So I hate that people have to write for free, but <laughs> But if you want the experience and want to write, like do it on your own blog and just see if you can get a network of people to get it to a bigger audience if you don't have one. But if you want to write, then write. You'll get better at it and you'll find your niche that you love. And then you'll definitely get better at it because you'll care about it more. That's, I think, probably good advice across the board, not even just in hockey. (laughs) Uh, And don't listen when people tell you you don't belong there. Yeah. God. Yeah. When someone tells you that, like, find find one of the Hannahs yeah. on Hockey Twitter and we'll come and we'll make sure you there know you belong. Of us and we're happy to do it. Yeah. There's a trifecta yeah. of us, I believe. <laughs> so is there anything that you're working on right now that you want to plug? Or, like, I know that you've got a lot of going stuff going on in real life. So writing has been a little harder. So is there anything that, you know, you kind of want to talk about here at the I, end? I, um, 
am allegedly working on a Kale McCarr video piece that I'm excited about because he's very good and also very fun to watch. Oh, he's just a when, sweet baby. Must when we were talking Kale. earlier about um, what I focus on, I tend to go for players that are fun to watch, even if they're like high risk. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so Kale McCarr is really fun to watch. And um, so I'm working on that and it should be up sometime in the next couple weeks, probably. Um, and then I am attempting to write an abstract for CBJ hack. We'll see if it happens. We'll see if I get accepted. Hopefully you'll get accepted and I'll be there and we can, you know, take a hockey Hannah Twitter. Yes. Picture. I love this. Let's do it. I mean, I, I'm hoping I'm going to get to go, um, you know, whether I'm presenting or not, but so we'll do that for sure. Yeah. I can tell you a bunch of great places to go in Columbus. I used to yes. hang out there. <laughs> All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time and really like making the hockey Hannah's come together has been a goal of mine. So I'm really excited we got to do this. And yeah, thank you for listening. Um, If you can do me a favor and subscribe, give me a review, share the podcast on, you know, Twitter or wherever you share things like maybe, I don't know, Facebook people use facebook um feel free to do that and that'd be great um but until next time i am hannah she is also hannah uh and i really appreciate you guys listening thank you bye